Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there a shift in consciousness going on amidst the human race? What does shift of consciousness mean, anyway? Are even the greatest of human minds ready for such a shift? Hello there, and welcome to the two hundred or the three hundred and twenty-third. Sorry, all the twos and threes got me mixed up. <laughs> edition of the thousands. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> behind that's a that's a long way away, Father. So, edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those mind-bending questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we welcome our guest, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest. So last week's question was, who used the term exceptional human experience to define the paranormal? Well, Nicole Preston from Charlotte, North Carolina, got the correct answer. The parapsychologist, Dr. Rhea White. Uh, Nicole added a note, quote, Hey, Paul, I remembered that from your book, Turning Home, where you disagreed with Dr. White, unquote. Well, I did disagree with Dr. White. Uh, paranormal is not exceptional at all. The paranormal is entirely normal. Oh, wordplay there. So this week's question is, in what country is the haunted uh, the haunted dream beach located? So we get that right and win a copy of Footsteps in the Attic by my dad. Now to our guest. Uh, our good friend Larry Lowe is a veteran aerospace journalist, pilot, software engineer, television presenter, and radio guest with three decades of personal research into the UFO and related phenomena. He, in fact, he lives in the vicinity of Phoenix, Arizona, where those famous Phoenix lights occur. He served on the board of directors of MUFON Los Angeles, MUFON being the Mutual UFO Network, and hosted a monthly cable television interview program. He has appeared on numerous television episodes discussing the UFO phenomenon, most recently a National Geographic Channel investigation into the famous Phoenix Lights we just mentioned. Larry's interests range from nanotechnology and the technological singularity to shamanic use of, of uh, entheogens, I always have to look twice at that, and the nature of consciousness, which is our subject this evening. Since 2009, he has served as the Phoenix UFO Examiner for Examiner.com. In his most recent role as the National Social Reality Examiner at Examiner.com, Larry has reported on Russian geophysicist Elchin, Elchin Kalilov's theory that increased solar activity associated with the coming solar maximum may be responsible for the strange earth sounds people have been reporting and that we discussed on our CBS show last week. As a matter of fact, Larry uh, did appear uh, with uh, Linda Moulton Howe, investigative journalist on that show, on February 20th. And if you'd like to listen to the podcast of that, check BehindTheParanormal.com or iTunes for our show number 320. Although iTunes doesn't list the show numbers. So anyway, go to Behind the Paranormal. Larry's website, www.examiner.com slash UFO in Phoenix with dashes. Maybe he'll give us a simpler. Uh, Larry dash low. All right, well, well, we'll have Larry explain about that website later. Okay, so Larry Lowe, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Uh-oh. Uh, all right, uh, well... Okay, well, all right, well, let, let's try and get him back. Sorry here. Yeah, we uh, had a few... Um, well, anyway, last night we had an interesting show on CBS. We had a uh, panel of UFO abductees. And uh, we had uh, the great uh, Travis Walton, uh, who uh, unfortunately was uh, he was unable to make it actually. But we had Whitley Strieber, who was uh, the um, 
uh, author of the book Communion and the movie Communion too, which uh, came out, uh, uh, I believe, in the 1990s and had to do with his uh, spectacular UFO abduction experiences from 1985 and beyond. And we also had Tom Reed, who has been on this show as well. Uh, we did two shows with him on his family abduction experience. Now, now, Ben and I are not sure what to make of the actual abduction experience, uh, sort of reserve judgment on that. There are all sorts of explanations. But people whom we respect do seem to be uh, having these experiences. Uh, Larry, are you with us? Oh. Apparently the aliens are interfering again. Okay. Hmm? Okay, Larry, are you with us? Oh, okay. Now I'm having a little trouble on the board here, but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll continue this uh, our discussion until uh, we can get Larry here. Uh, Larry is uh, particularly interested in the work of uh, Edgar Mitchell, who was a, one of the Apollo 14 astronauts. I believe he was the sixth man to walk on the moon. And on the way back from the moon, uh, and, and Larry will get into this once we get him here, uh, the um, experience that he had was quite remarkable uh, as far as a spiritual awakening is concerned. One can only imagine, what maybe one cannot imagine, going into space, let alone walking on another planet, as it were. Uh, Larry, are you with us? Indeed I am. Oh, very good, good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, glad to have you with us uh, back again. We'll, um, I'll stop ad-libbing here and we'll get to our questions. Uh, ben, take it away. Okay, so when you say consciousness, what do you mean? Uh, well, that was just a very simple question. I can just toss out a quick answer to that one. Um, there you go. <laughs> See? Uh, I'm not too sure that anybody has uh, a good definition of consciousness, but it's um, Edgar would talk about uh, the sense of what we uh, I, I can't give you his answer as well as he could but it's in essence it's who it is that's doing the thinking that's inside who we think we are okay yeah we've had him on the show before but uh, it was uh, all too long ago we'll have to have him back well uh, when one th- when we think of forms of conscious and, and let me just say Larry um uh, is is some what like what Ben and I try to be, which is people who get behind what these things mean. People throw terms around, such as the paranormal or consciousness or whatever, and there is meaning behind these things that, in order to even come close to any sort of understanding, that we have, we have to address. So, uh, hence the question. There, I remember one experience I've had. Now, Larry too is, has uh, knows many people and has been a great traveler. When I was in Australia, Larry, in 79, and talking with an Aboriginal elder, for, for I had the privilege of speaking with him for about seven hours, there were forms of consciousness that he pointed out that do not involve physical travel, uh, for example. But he himself, uh, having been a shaman, was very familiar with uh, other parts of the universe that uh, we have not, of course, reached uh, with our own technology, and that seemed to be a form of consciousness that, which he said was just as real as physical travel, that sort of thing. So, the question might arise uh, as as an addendum to the question on what is consciousness: what is real and what is not real. What say you? Well, I think that one of the things I'm starting to come to a, a model of, and this is a comment was made by somebody else, is about one talks about one's reality tunnel. Um, and to back up just a bit and try to give you an answer, I think that the term consciousness gets used in a real fast and loose con- uh, 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 manner in our society. But, oh, well, so-and-so had a big breakthrough on the Wall Street and it changed his consciousness. And that's 
really a rather pale, pale use of it. I think yeah, I there's a, rich, a, a richer sense of changing one's consciousness, one's awareness of reality. And that's probably where, where you're headed. And that example from the, the, uh, the Aborigine in Australia parallels a story written by a guy by the name of um, Fool's Crow, who was a Sioux elder. And he talks about going into his little tiny makeshift hut and doing a kind of a sensory deprivation experiment out of a sweat lodge. And his mind, his awareness, his consciousness drifting up out of his body, out of the out of the plane of the earth, all the way, as he put it in, in the in the book, to the center of the galaxy to talk with the consciousness and the energies and the spirits there. So a a true sense of shift of consciousness is different than just say, oh, I went through a divorce and that changed my consciousness on women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Consciousness on women. So in your writing, you single out Apollo uh, 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell and his 1971 experience in space and his work on consciousness ever since. So can you tell us about Mitchell and what his work means for the rest of us? Well, I think you you, you have to really appreciate the the unique contribution that Edgar Mitchell made to the Apollo program because every one of these highly skilled test pilots uh, and, and military aviators who went up there trained very deeply in a left-brain organized consciousness. We're going to go to the moon to, in, on the basis of a checklist, a series of steps, a whole bunch of science, a lot of engineering. There's a launch window. There's a time for the orbital injection. Everything has to happen in exactly the right order and we will get back in one piece. And for the most part, they they would all execute that. But every one of the Apollo astronauts that I've ever spoken with, if you if you get them a little bit in a corner and talk to them, they'll get that sort of wistful look in their eye, and they'll talk about looking at the Earth from a quarter of a million miles away as one small round thing that you could cover with a dime or your thumb and realizing that the whole planet is a whole planet. And, and that realization for all of them was a shift in their consciousness. Mm-hmm. But Edgar Mitchell took it one step farther than that. Uh, he deliberately put together an experiment on his way back where he tried to uh, go through some process of looking at some cards and saying, this is what I see, the kind of the classic uh, telepathy experiment. And there were some re- results re- recorded on the ground. But... On the way back, as he tells the story, the capsule was spinning, and he was not in the checklist, and he could just sit and absorb the cosmos spinning outside its outside the window, and he had this fundamental moment. Uh, the word epiphany gets used, but I don't think that's adequate. It's more like what uh, some of the, um, the the Hindus call sumati, or something, the, the goal of meditation. I think he had an expansion of his consciousness, and he realized, among other things, that every atom in the body was at one point forged in the fire of a deep, distant sun long in the past. And why this statement is so important is when we begin to think about quantum entanglement, 
and you have to have your your atoms and your your elements of the of the atomic structure in close proximity one another become entangled and we realize that everything on earth was at one point all maybe in the same sun or forced in a similar manner to go all the way back to the big bang it was all in the same place suddenly you realize that we our consciousness is entangled and it's a matter of perception can we choose to perceive that entanglement and perceive that reality and, and he just then went on to found the Institute of Noetic Sciences and more recently Quantrek and has done an enormous amount of very, very careful methodical thinking about what consciousness and reality really is. Mm. Larry, in an article about Mitchell that you wrote only a few weeks ago on examiner.com, and uh, maybe you could give us an, is there an easier website address than what I was trying to give? Uh, actually, you simply go to examiner.com and uh, search for Phoenix UFO, and it's about the third article down on my list. Okay. There. There's All right. a long URL. but Okay. Uh, anyway, in that article, you stated something that really hit home with me. Uh, quote, his, meaning Mitchell's, goal is correcting what he sees as a flaw in man's approach to thinking induced in the 17th century. This mistake placed Western scientific thinking within the box of materialist context. That, in turn, precludes complete understanding of the laws of the universe. From Edgar Mitchell's perspective, the best minds of our civilization are not thinking comprehensively. Until they are, we as a species won't likely get where evolution beckons us, unquote. You know, I, th- that I could have worked for a year and not put that as well as you did. I think it, that's that's extremely true. Uh I've been running into that very problem in my own work since the very year of Mitchell's flight, 1971. Ben runs into it now. Oh, yeah. And we run into it all too often with advanced degree guests on the show, people with PhDs who don't know anything because their consciousness is too limited by exactly what you state. Now, can you comment on this uh, epistemological problem from your own point of view? Well, I, I came up with this term sometime back called the box of context. And I realized that when people were talking to me about their point of view, they, they, they didn't realize it, but they were sitting inside a certain framework that bounded their ability to have imagination or think or to consider what's conceivable. And uh, Mitchell is, is correct in, in analyzing, I think, at the time of the Reformation, at the time of the dawn of uh, the, the Renaissance, um, the church... Uh, said, if you guys are going to discuss all this stuff about physics and whatever and start telling us that, that the Earth goes around the sun, you can do that, but you've got to leave a bunch of it to us. And that bunch of it turns out to be consciousness. Hmm. And, and people who were born and raised and educated in our society, to a certain extent, the more they are educated, the tighter that box of context becomes and the less likely they are to consider anything far enough outside those limits. They simply write it off. They just look at you like, you're not thinking right if you even use that term in a sentence. Exactly. And it's very, very difficult to have a conversation with these folks. It is. <coughs> Excuse me. And the, and the attempt that many well-intentioned people have made to penetrate the mysteries of the paranormal, or never mind consciousness, uh, has resulted in a, a, a mess, a frustration, of course, because they attempt to use 
this materialistic paradigm which just isn't good enough. And when we've gotten beyond that, people have uh, taken offense. They, they, they have, you know, they have us on their own shows and they have us out to speak and they, they, um, many of the, the ordinary people will say, well, you know, that, that makes sense. That's what I've experienced. But some of the quote unquote experts uh, feel as though they're, um, you know, they've been attacked. You know, that's not our intention, and we're not the only ones who approach it the way we do. But anyway, uh, I'm just saying that that we we get what you're saying, and and it's it's a it's a problem as far as the advancement of knowledge is concerned. Never mind the advancement of human evolution. Yeah, it's it extends beyond this too, because people don't know how to debate anymore. I mean, people don't listen to people; they just wait for their time to speak. Yeah, and you're wrong. <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. So you mentioned yeah, yeah. also. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Larry. You're wrong, and I'm louder. Exactly. Yeah, yeah basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, there, there's another comment uh, I'm quoting of yours. Uh, quote, the mechanism of perception of the phenomenon is, I think, at the heart of our misunderstanding of reality. So a question might arise, what is perception? Is it the same thing as consciousness? And what is its proper mechanism? Perception is not consciousness. Okay. Uh, I, I think... It, I think that, and, and, Edgar is very fond of saying that the kind of perception that he's talking about, the, the thing that we always talk about kind of loosely as the sixth sense, because it didn't fit in the first five, it maybe really ought to be considered our first sense. Mm. Uh, perception is that photons come in your eyes, they hit the rods in the back of the retina, they're, they're changed into electrical signals, they travel up the optic nerve, and they go into this big maze a parallel processing, and they arrive at the visual cortex, and somehow, some way, by some magic, all of those signals that are now sorted out arrive in our awareness as sight of what we're seeing around us. And the same mechanism occurs for touch, taste, smell, um, the, all of the fundamental senses we rely upon them, because since uh, sight is so incredibly powerful, we think we live behind our eyes. Now, the other kind of perception that science never got an opportunity to take a look at is intuition. Um, I think that Edgar would tell you that he's trying to figure out the, the mathematics of intention. Intention is a transmitter into what he calls the quantum hologram, and intuition is the receiver. And through some process we don't quite have figured out, this field that isn't measurable by normal science can in, it can generate input into our visual cortex, our audio cortex, and give us perception. This is how people can hear clear audience, they can have clairvoyance, they can do telepathy. They, the, the fundamental deal is a very simple situation where you're talking to somebody and you formulate a thought and you've got an attitude and you're not articulating it, but because she's a woman and has got intuition is a little more tuned. She knows what you're thinking, and that perception is so subtle and it's not measurable that it's been denied by science as anything we're going to take a look at. And yet, I think it may be the fundamental part of how we really understand the reality around us. But in order to find answers to questions like that, don't we, in the end, have to trust our senses, which? Uh, one, one might question whether they can be trusted. Well, there could be more than five. There could be more than six. There could be more senses that we don't know about. Well, that's true. Yeah. 
I, I think there's a bunch of senses that are basically all that one sense. This ability to extract information from the quantum description of reality uh, that he talks about. He's very very deliberate in his speech about information extraction. And we're, we have the means to understand information that we don't recognize as valid. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So would you say that Plato's allegory of the cave is incorrect in this instance? I, I would not be able to answer that question. Oh, okay. Um, t- well, there are a number of interpretations. You know, Plato and his, 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 his ideas about ideals, that somewhere, somewhen, there is an ideal of everything, and um, we only see a reflection of it, you know, as if we were sitting in a cave and just saw a reflection of something rather than the real thing. Uh, a lot of Western thinking is based on that, but some of it perhaps can be salvaged, I think, philosophically. I don't know. I guess. Um, yeah. Well, it all depends on interpretation. Yeah. But anyway, a lot of people think, Larry, that we are on the verge of a consciousness shift. Much has been made of the 2012 business in one form or another, and uh, while some people believe the world will end, there are, you, know, you name it, some people will believe it. Uh, there is a belief that we are in the... Um, an age where a, a consciousness shift for the positive will occur, perhaps because of the expansion or broadening of the kind you have mentioned, perhaps realizing more of our place in the universe or, or, or whatever. But what say you about that? I think that, to, to try to mix a couple of answers together, I think that what we've got here, first of all, that, that one of the problems is if you try to answer the problems about understanding the perception of the, the first sense, or the quantum hologram, inside the rubric of pure science, it's never been possible. There just wasn't a way to get to the answer doing enough math. No. So that was part of the problem right there. Second of all, I think maybe we're, I'm creeping up on is the idea that each one, that the, the notion of a consensus reality is an oxymoron that every one of us actually lives inside a small bubble of reality that is, in fact, the reality that we live in, and that our, our primary senses bounded by that keep us tightly coupled inside that little world. And people go off on tangents. They get really involved being a, a race car driver or whatever, and their world shrinks to, to knowing how to do that thing. When... Each one of us expands our ability to perceive outside of our private reality bubble and realizes that this person's reality is actually different than mine, but very, very similar enough so that we can feel like we're in the same room. That how many how many people are on the planet? Nine billion. I think when, <laughs> yeah, I think we just passed when, the seven billion mark. When seven billion people each have a, an expansion of their own private consciousness to where they intermingle a little bit and we realize how plastic reality can actually be, that might be the quote-unquote reality shift we're talking about. It's not like it's some big event that just happens and we watch it go on like the Super Bowl. So you're going in the opposite direction that we are. Um, our philosophical conclusion, from again, albeit from paranormal work and just seeing where that's taken me over 42 years and then Ben now over six years has been in the opposite direction toward more toward unless I'm misunderstanding you more toward human unity 
and and our conclusion philosophically is that, is that the individual really doesn't exist. The individual is an, is, is is a unique expression of everybody the else. Whole, yeah. The whole unity. So, but uh, you, you seem to have taken it in an opposite direction. Am I wrong? Well, I'm not too sure about what we're pretty similar, but but for some some semantics. Yes, they always I, get I think, in the way, don't they? I think that everybody lives inside a reality bubble of their own, and that the individual consciousness who thinks he's Larry Lowe having a phone conversation with Paul and Ben uh, is but a focused subset of a larger consciousness field that happens to reside inside the the quantum biocomputer of my brain, right? So yeah. I, I think I have an eye there to have. Uh, rather fact, than, okay, rather than just a sense of self-reference as um, I, I, I'm having a senior moment. I can't remember the physicist who said it. Fred Allen Wolf? No, it wasn't Fred. It was his colleague. Uh, oh, uh, anyway, Larry knows what I mean. Uh, yeah, okay, but but the part of it is is that there is a larger unified field of consciousness mm. that you, you could give it a lot of interesting names, and I don't want to go too far there, but there's a unified field of consciousness, but that it coalesces into one mind and one point of view, and we get so wrapped up in being that person in that part of that reality yeah. that we think that is the reality, and where you're headed is that if we somehow grow and expand our ability to perceive a wider consciousness and realizes that we're all part of something that we will unify. Okay. Well, we're going to take a commercial break, and uh, at the risk of giving headaches to those of you who are stuck in traffic in Providence and Boston, we'll continue with our conversation about consciousness. I think it's fascinating, and we'll be right back. Curious about what's ahead for you in 2012? Guess. Or you can get a personalized astrological chart, setting you in the right direction, helping you to make those important decisions and choices. Fulfill your ambitions and achieve your goals. Move forward with confidence into the future this year, learning how to handle the new long-term planetary trends influencing your daily life. Money, health, job, your relationships, all included. Call me at 401-333-4048 for information on getting your chart or having a yearly update on a chart I've previously done for you. Put the spotlight on the future. Be a winner, not a warrior. Contrary to rumors you've been hearing about the world coming to an end in 2012, if it should... I'll give you a full refund. That's how sure I am it's not going to happen. I'm also available for private parties and speaking engagements. Call me, 333-4048. Okay, and we are back. I forgot to give the station ID. You are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON, 1240 AM, and com in New England's beautiful but snowless Blackstone River Valley. Okay, and I also wanted to mention... Kindle Fire, the number one most wished-for product on Amazon. I guess you go on Amazon.com and you can put your wish list on there because Kindle Fire is the number one wished-for item here, and it's only one ninety-nine. You can uh, you can get uh, it's one gift, and you can get a million stories. You can get all sorts of books, magazines, apps, games, and all sorts of marvelous things on Amazon Kindle Fire. Uh, you can also get, of course, four of my books. Uh, Rhode Island, a genial history, and of course on the paranormal topic, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, and hopefully soon, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, What Ghosts Have to Say About God. And I always tap our guests here. Uh, uh, any any of your material on uh, Amazon Kindle there, uh, Larry? 
not yet. Okay, well, we'll we'll be waiting for it because uh, work in progress. Uh, work in progress. Kindle Fire. And Amazon Kindle itself, of course, the uh, the Kindle device can be obtained for as low as $79 at Staples, many other places, Amazon.com. Check it out. We recommend it. It's a great gift at any time. Okay, welcome back. And we're going to continue our conversation with our, with our good friend Larry Lowe, uh, sort of a one who is, is on the same journey we are, certainly, looking for what is behind the paranormal. Hence the name of the show. Well, yeah, well, that's why it's... I, I know. Right. Just, Where have you been? Okay. I was just trying to make a joke. You okay. Know, trying to make, lighten up the conversation a little bit. Right. So, Larry, I want to I wanna do um, get your input on, on this conclusion I came up with today on the way to school. I was thinking, because there's so, so many teenagers out there that, that smoke weed, drop, drop acid, stuff like that. Do you think that, or, or would you say that humans are naturally spiritual beings... But we, some people don't know how to attain that spiritual status in our society. So when they're teenagers, they mess around with narcotics and things like that to get to that state instead of doing it the right way and the clean way. And then when they're adults, they just get it beaten out of them by society and then they consider it something bad and whatever, which I don't, I don't condone drug use. I'm just saying that maybe that spiritual experiences aren't considered healthy in this society. Well... Uh, then there's like three questions in there. Yeah, and I know. They're, I was, I was they're to get they're a little entangled, so let's try to sort of tease them out. I think the really the important one has to do is spiritual awareness, something that isn't taught or isn't understood or isn't accepted in, in, in the true sense. My conviction is that, that there is a fundamental ability to perceive spiritual class events, to put it the best way I can, that is sort of innate, but it is never trained, it's never nurtured. Uh, at one point, the church was doing some things along that line, but the church has shifted completely out of really teaching any of those skills and simply trying to get you to behave in a fashion that lets them run their political power structure. And... And you're right. I think that a lot of young kids maybe wonder what else they could do with their mind besides simply consume media and enjoy experience. Uh, it's part of being young is that you, you know, one of the best parts of being young is you get to try stuff out for the first time. Uh, the second question I would say is, you know, I don't want to speak to the whole issue of drugs because it, there's, it, it's very, very complicated, but yeah, yeah, I'll, make this, yeah. I'll make this one comment. I believe that the DMT molecule, which is very, very closely akin to the endorphin molecule, it's already produced naturally in our brain, may be a mechanism to open up that perception, uh, which Huxley was writing about, and the doors named their band after, right? The doors to perception. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. However, if if you know anything about the process, set and setting are important. The respect you give the process is important. Who you have as a mentor or a shaman who will work you through setting you up, your intent going in is important. And DMT, Rick Rick Straussman did some pretty amazing work here a while back by actually doing science on the incredibly difficult subjective perception of reality while under the influence of certain, well, DMT, in fact. 
and what bothers me is I see on, on YouTube from time to time, kids will take, uh, get their hands on some DMT and take a massive hit. Uh, that'll blow their minds, and they'll start laughing uncontrollably, and then they will snap back out of it because it's a wrap-it-up, wrap-it-down thing. And then they think that putting a YouTube of that on, a video of that on YouTube is the net result, and they are entirely missing the point of exploring the capabilities of their consciousness. And, you know, you don't, it's no wonder why various communities are busy saying, well, I think we probably need to make that illegal. Yeah, 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 that's a very good point. Yeah. Well, uh, one of my professors at one time, and I use it in my last book too, the term homo autorons, you know, sort of, a, it is a natural, we are naturally constructed to, in the case of that term, worship, or at least to be aware of things beyond ourselves, much as in the, in the sense of, you know, we, we are sort of born to have the broader consciousness that, that we talk about. And when, when we don't have it, when we don't strive for it, maybe we don't know how to strive for it in a society based, as you say, on materialist, in, in the, the, the box of materialism. Yeah, things start to fall apart. Things start to fall apart. We don't know who we are. And, and the, 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 I, I know a lot of Ben's friends. They're, they're the, the greatest people in the world. And I'll, I'll, I, I prefer to spend time with them than I do with most grown-ups. And, of course, we live in a society where, as I say, people don't generally get any emotionally older than 12, and uh, they just sort of get more and more lost uh, because we insist on our own way, which is this box, as you say. That's the way I see it anyhow. So uh, I don't know. What, 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 do you have any further comment on that before we go well, on? Because I, I, I think our media and our educational system uh, are responsible for keeping us there. And yeah, it goes I agree back with that. to a long diatribe I could give you about the Robertson Commission and the management of media perception in the country. And we're only, you know, I know a lot of very, very smart, very ill-informed people who have never read the evidence, won't look through the telescope, don't want to hear about the flying saucers, and simply tell me the whole thing is bad astronomy. And they are smug and they're proud because they know good astronomy when they see it and they'll write a blog about bad astronomy because if you think this other thing could be going on, you're a bad astronomer. And I think the problem is that they are limited by their own thought process in the reality that they can experience. Yes. And I'd, li- I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to ask you guys a little bit. Turn the, turn the tables here. No, yeah, we, we uh, yeah we allowed some time for that too. But I just before you do, I just uh, there is there is the number one ingredient in my opinion for knowing anything in any sort of honest way, whether you have a PhD or whether you have you're just a, a, a truck driver. And, and I've known several truck drivers who are brilliant people, but they use every bit of their time for reading. And that that, that first ingredient is the H word, humility. You don't often hear that today. But I think that that is the number one ingredient for honesty, you know, in, in intellectually or any other way, is humility. Okay, so go ahead and ask away. Well, I did, well, I got to back up and say that's a very good point. Uh, I've never heard anybody express it that way, but but you're really right. You you have to have kind of an honest curiosity and a kind of a sense that you don't know. And I think that to a certain degree, uh, and let's not knock technology because, as I point out in the article. You know, understanding electromagnetics put the computers inside the thing that understanding 
Newton's laws of motion got Edgar Mitchell to the moon sure. and back. Yeah, yeah. So there's, technology's done us a fair amount of good, but when you get trapped inside the belief that that's all there is, and you can't assume there is anything else, I'm not too sure, but what you don't end up living in the reality that you think you're living in, and, and these things simply don't go on in your reality. Yeah, well, anything that's out of balance can become negative. Well, I wanted to ask you guys about your perception of, of different individuals that you've worked with over time who can, who can have this level of perception of some form of other intelligence, whether you want to call it a, a ghost or an alien or, a, or whatever. How, can, you, can you get a sense of which people have the ability to perceive and which ones don't? Yeah, I, I do. You want me? Do you, you want to start, Ben? Oh. Well, that we perceive them and they perceive us back, or that we perceive them they don't perceive us. Sorry, I, I was kind of confused as to the way the question. Well, was actually, that's 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 two good questions. I want to ask later on about the fact they perceive you, but I'm just starting with the human side of the equation. Ah, okay. I think I'm not too sure, but some humans have an ability to understand certain things and perceive them, and others just don't have it. They could be going on but it isn't perceived in person B, so he says, I'm sorry, that's bad astronomy. It ain't happening. Yeah. Well, this has come up very often, if I may, Ben. Uh, I was, was going to quote Beetlejuice, but you can... <laughs> okay. you can. Well, no, I think I, said, I, think I, know, I, I think I have a sense of what Larry might be starting to get at here. This has come up very often in the context of people asking us how to tell a good psychic from a bad psychic. Oh, yeah. Okay. And this comes up all the time. Uh, we're not really into that aspect of it. We approach the paranormal from a different level, really. But the ordinary person does run into the paranormal in the form of psychics and mediums very often because it's all over the media. Uh, my first bit of advice to them is if you perceive that these people are egotistical, hey, you know, this is the whole humility thing, then I would have some doubts. I think that when one is n- does not sort of empty oneself, in a, I suppose in a spiritual sense, then one cannot honestly fill oneself with a broader consciousness. I think that ego is false and gets in the way of truth. So when one accomplishes, the, if one can accomplish the monumental task in such a self-centered society of obtaining some sort of humility, then that, that's the beginning of True consciousness, and so so that's what that's the advice that I would give to people, and it's certainly a, uh, one of the expressions of whether this person is humble or not is how much love you perceive from them. In the case of a psychic, you know, um, we've had people on this show who uh, are just so full of brilliant minds, but full of themselves to the point where they can't see beyond their own noses, and other people who have um, been ordinary folks who have just who've experienced extraordinary events who are just so humbled by them that they are lessons for us in our own lives. I mean, that's the best way I can put it, Ben. Well, I feel like everybody can perceive if they really, really want to, but to quote Beetlejuice, uh, if if everyone here, if everyone who's listening has seen Beetlejuice, like one of the rules that most ghosts follow, quote-unquote, is humans don't see you because they don't want to see you. So, in my opinion, I feel like people just don't want to see things that are out of their little boxes as they 
as they say. They're out of their uh, little realms of perception because then that would just totally screw everything up because the thing that probably would scare us the most besides boredom is knowing that we don't have control over things, which is one thing must some people must understand is that we have absolutely no control over anything. That's essentially what we learned in intelligence training was, you know, be where you're not expected to be. You are the wind in the grass. See. You know, and that, that's the secret of, of, I suppose, invisibility or semi-invisibility in a in that context. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, Larry. No, that's very good. All right, but, guys, but I think you might good. be getting it, too, at, at uh, entities we run into in the course of our paranormal work as well. Uh, as I explained to, well, we had a show recently. I guess what was it last week? Yeah, we did on Probably. the the uh, photographs of uh, yep, Jerry Warner. And uh, when Jerry said, didn't know Jerry from Adam, he sent uh, these photographs to us. I don't know if you've seen them on our website or not, but we're on his. The, the there was one entity in particular with which has uh, very clearly the, uh, the sort of almost the body of a horse or a giraffe with a longish neck and the face of a, of a, of a lion or a cat and i said i know this creature not personally but this species has been one we have run into in the course of our paranormal work because we don't look at ghosts as spirits of the dead we don't look at the uh, what we consider a very narrow view of the paranormal we look at this as as literally a cosmic journey through many kinds of parallel worlds and uh, when you look at it that way I think I like to think that our consciousness has expanded because of taking down the, the, the barriers and limitations of, of human knowledge and tradition and the materialistic world and interpreting these things and experiencing them far beyond what most quote-unquote ghost hunters would uh, or other investigators. And uh, the result has been a remarkable interaction with many different kinds of creatures. And, I, and when we went on Coast to Coast last May and talked about this, I was very reluctant to do so because as i as i said then i've spent 40 years or more trying to build up a reputation as a, a journalist with feet on the ground as, as you have larry uh, with feet on the ground and uh one who was not given to any sorts of flights of fancy and uh ben on the has his own story he's not he's a different kind of guy but he, uh, you know he himself has had experiences of these kinds in his own way and uh, i don't know i i just there comes a point where you just maybe it's my age there comes a point where you just have to stop questioning and accept it because the questions don't mean anything anymore. I don't know if that's what you need, but I, I think that there's a couple of parallels there. One of those is is uh, J. Allen Hynek, that classic example. Got yeah. hired as an astronomer at Northwestern uh, and said, "Okay, you know what? I can I can tell you which one's Venus and which one's the weather balloon." And at the end of his career, there was just too much evidence that there was something going on that was a phenomenon that had to be addressed. Exactly, yeah. And, and I, more time and time again, you see somebody going in with the best, as I did, with the best of left brain scientific inside your box of context framework. Uh, you know, I was a pilot, I know physics, I'm an engineer, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep, the, I want, I want an understanding I can put my hands on. Mm-hmm. And if you pursue this phenomenon long enough, openly enough, and expose yourself to enough things, pretty soon you say to yourself, you know what, there's something going on here that nobody taught me uh, could even happen. And now that I've seen enough 
and it starts subtle. These things start very subtle, and over time, and the more you understand they're going on, the more they tend to do go on, which is what tells me that there's a perceptual filter inside our brains that filters these things out, and that's, that goes back to the kind of people don't see ghosts because they don't want to see them. It, it, it might also be that people don't see ghosts because they don't believe they can see them. Mm-hmm. And it's that subtle shift of saying, I'm going to look for them. And that's a very slippery slope because then you can very rapidly, and I've seen a lot of people in this community do it, go down this field of sort of a self-delusion, and the next thing you know, they've lost all discernment, and they're telling me with a straight face stuff that I know is completely bogus because they've lost it. So there's two sides to this issue. You have to have that leap of faith. And it is a big one, that there's something out there that can affect my perception, that I could learn to perceive, uh, that I was never taught about. But at the same time, not everything you hear about is is so. There's a lot of confabulation and confusion. It's very, very difficult to sort stuff out early on. That's true, yeah. And not everybody out there entities that come and, and try to communicate with you are who they say they are absolutely or what they say right they are. absolutely and th- that is a critical uh, point of understanding now I'm going to I, this is a little late I'm going to just take a bit of a pause here to give you our telephone I all we always get so involved in the conversations with our marvelous guests such as Larry that I forget to give you the darn telephone number because we do take calls Anyway, for what it's worth, we have a couple of minutes left, and it's uh, locally 401-766-1240 in the local listening area, and uh, also uh, nationally, anywhere in the United States, 800-449-1240. So, in any case, sorry about that. I'll, we have to try to discipline ourselves to give that number a little sooner. It's okay. Anyway, uh, no, but I see certainly what Larry is saying here. Uh, there, there are some ultimate, a number of ultimate questions involved in this entire issue. People seem to be experiencing more and more phenomena. Sometimes I think, well, maybe it's because you know, we're a little bit better known so now than we used to be, so people maybe call and tell us more. But everyone we talk to is saying everyone, not everyone, but you know, many, many people uh, are talking about the increase in apparent paranormal phenomena. We have a certain interpretation of why that is occurring. Uh, we talked about the earth sounds uh, when you were on with Linda Moulton Howe with us, Larry, uh, on a CBS a week ago. Uh, and and uh, you name it, it's it's sort of starting to happen. And there are a lot of uh, sort of inexplicable or semi-inexplicable phenomena, for, at least for which explanations have not yet been found, that, that seem to be going on. Do you think this is part of any kind of consciousness shift, that more people are embracing broader senses of consciousness? I, I keep coming back to the model that you have uh, a perceptual center in your mind that is your visual cortex or your aural cortex that gives you, delivers the reality to whatever it is that's doing the perceiving itself, right? Your, your, your visual cortex gives you your sense of sight. And there's these barriers up here to that subtle influx from what Mitchell refers to as the quantum hologram. And they've been there for a long time, and they seem to be coming down Maybe people are getting better educated. Maybe people are talking to one another of the water cooler. Maybe there's some sort of force actually going on. But as, as this internal mental filter changes its effect, people seem to be perceiving more things. Do you believe, oh, I don't know if, I don't know if that's the right question. 
what what is the quantum hologram just for those who don't understand it well I, i'd like to i think i'd like to take just a moment and speak to that because that's exactly what is important okay that that he's doing uh the, the holy grail of physics is the unified field theory and there's a whole big long dissertation about how we get to the trying to put the math together to get the electroweak force the strong magnetic force and gravitation all in one equation, and that has been the purview of science ever since we started doing anything like it. Now, mercifully short, when Mitchell came back and started looking for what causes this fundamental sense of unified total cosmic awareness, he ended up talking, uh, reading the work of a fellow by the name of Walter Shemp, and Shemp imagined mm-hmm. a hologram projected with a thing called the black body radiation. Now, I'm going to quote from my own article. Black body radiation, which Mitchell explained, is a property of every physical object has photon emissions that are non-local, quantum entangled, and carry information about the emitting object that can be recovered and used by perceptive minds. And that last one is important. Those minds have got to be perceptive. Now, the result would be something akin to the Force in Star Wars. It would be similar to what uh, the Akashic Record was. It would explain Rupert Sheldrake's notion of morphic resonance. It's, it's this unified awareness of everything without it being there. And if it's non-local across space and conceivably non-local across time, then... We live in a far more wondrous reality than many of us have imagined is possible to perceive. And because we don't imagine we can perceive it, we don't perceive it. <laughs> and if, if that ability to perceive is slowly changing because of people's attitudes, perhaps their perceptions are changing and perhaps they're opening up to this reality. Well, that, that, that's, that's the perfect answer to the question because that certainly seems to be the case. We often... Um, will almost with trepidation give, uh, I suppose you might call spiritual advice to people who ask, and many people have begun to, um, uh, again, it's semantics, but they, we believe, and of course the, the subconscious mind is as, as uh, containing many different lives that we're living simultaneously elsewhere and elsewhere, and that's the nature of our subconscious, and people have... Um, the danger of that, of course, is if you embrace those other lives, to put it in our terms, you can end up, you know, schizophrenic or diagnosed as such anyway. And we've discussed that many times. But there are others who, if approached it, who approach it uh, more uh, with feet on the ground and properly, as we say, and uh, they get great benefit from being in touch with these other consciousnesses, which is really part of the same consciousness, I guess, and hence our ideas about unity. But in any case. Um, I suppose we are saying the same thing in many, many different ways. Uh, Larry, we're down to our last few minutes here. Why don't you give us, uh, tell us what you're working on, tell us where people can find out more about you, your website, etc. Well, I've just started a new uh, role at the Examiner called the Social Reality Examiner, and I'm trying to, I'm going to start to try to explore the disconnect between the media-driven version of what's going on and what may be going on, because it goes uh. way beyond just the paranormal thing. There's, we're not getting a good picture of the world from our media. No. That's true. Well, we uh, we always uh, we talk a lot off the air, the three of us, and we will continue to do so, yes. uh, examining these very questions, and uh, we will be 
discussing possibly an on-air panel, uh, you know, a little, maybe a little less than a year. We'll see what happens. But anyway, Larry, we uh, we thank you very much. You're a good friend and an articulate spokesman for many, many important ideas. And thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been a delight, Paul. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome. Okay, Larry Lowe, everyone, Renaissance man. Okay. Uh, we wanted to remind you, of course, that you can contact us and get information on guests, past and future, and shows, uh, subjects, etc., and over, well over 300, we're coming up on almost 400 podcasts now, uh, behindtheparanormal.com. Check that out for us. And uh, also you can contact us uh, through links on that site as well. Uh, ben, of course, being Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com and me, Paul, at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can contact either of us. Also, you can buy my books on that site. That would be helpful since we don't make a lot of money at this. Now is a good time to mention uh, what you were talking about earlier. Yes, exactly. Bay State Children's Hospital, everyone. You may not live in Massachusetts or in this area here, but uh, it's really, really important. Our little cousin, Libby, uh, who has been uh, the subject of several videos about this and is uh, a 12-year-old cancer survivor, has been helped tremendously and her family by the Bay State Children's Hospital. Uh, you want to check it out, baystatehealth.org, baystatehealth.org. Uh, they are in the Springfield, Mass. area, and uh, again, just, just check them out. They are very special, and they need some... Uh, some upgrades of, uh, I know, some furniture in, in, in the uh, areas where they, they help the families, uh, where, the, where they're waiting for the children to be treated, etc. And they do help the families as well as the children. So check it out. And uh, you'll also be um, helping our little cousin, too, Libby. And she, she's a wonderful, wonderful kid. Lib Strong is, is the, the name uh, that we have for her in the family. And you can check her out on Facebook. Uh, so that would be uh, something we'd really appreciate. Okay, so we have well over 300 free podcasts on our show website, and that is www.behindtheparanormal.com. And I want to thank Ben tonight. Did a fine job as our producer again. He's been running the board during our shows. And we will see you next Monday, March 5th, right here on WON 1240 AM and com. when Ben and I will host an open-line show and get back into that endless stack of calls and emails on all subjects paranormal. And on our regular CBS edition on CBS, uh, New Sky Radio, March 4th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, will host the first of two roundtable discussions that will go deeper into the 1980 Renosham Forest UFO case, and our guests will be Peter Robbins and eyewitness Larry Warren. Yeah, we'll do two weeks on that because the conference is coming. Uh, we'll leave you this evening with a quote from the great American statesman Adlai Stevenson. If we value the pursuit of knowledge, we must be free to follow wherever that search may lead us. The free mind is no barking dog. Dog to be tethered on a 10-foot chain, unquote. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.